Welcome, welcome everybody to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I got a fun one today. I am talking to my friend, Dr. Bob Lester. For those of you who do not know Dr. Lester, uh, he's he's done it all in vet medicine. He has been a, a small business owner. He's been an executive in a Fortune 500 company uh, in the vet industry. He has been a business consultant. He writes a column for today's veterinary business. He has been uh, the delegate from Oregon for the AAVSB. He has been on the Oregon Vet Med Examining Board. He's the vice president of NAVC. Uh, acronyms upon acronyms upon acronyms. I always enjoy our conversations because he has such a neat perspective because he is connected to vet medicine in so many ways. And, uh, and we get into his most recent article, which is called What Corporations Get Wrong. And so we're talking about uh, corporates who are uh, consolidating veterinary practices. What's good about that? What's bad about that? What are the challenges that he sees for them? And what do, where does he think that they're going to be good for our industry? And so sprawling conversation about corporate ownership of vet practices. I hope you'll enjoy it. I hope you'll get a lot out of it. I hope we give you something, something to think about. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to Welcome, Dr. Bob Lester. Thanks for being back on the podcast with me. Great to see you again, Andy. Oh, man, I always enjoy uh, having you here. I have to say, in all honesty, you are writing some of the most interesting columns uh, that I see out there today. So, um, you know, from a non-medical standpoint, just views on our persp- on our profession. Uh, I love the stuff you're writing in today's vet business. Um, I just, it's funny, I, I always scan through and scan articles and and then uh, read them more deeply if I'm interested in them. And then I look to see who wrote them. And I'm always like, oh, no, Dr. Lester wrote this one. Oh, very, very nice. So well, I, I was appreciate like, oh, man. that, Andy. Thank you. I was like, well, I feel like we just uh, we were just on talking about the shortage of, of veterinarians and vet, uh, vet support staff recently. And then um, <laughs> the next week, I was like, oh, man, this is really good. Who wrote this? Oh, my gosh. Bob Lester. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, I want to talk to you about uh, an article that you had in Today's Veterinary Business uh, in the last issue on what the corporates get wrong. And it was a really popular article and I saw it shared around and, and it generated a lot of a lot of conversation. But I think uh, I think you made some valid criticisms here. And I also think you did it in a very productive way. And so so let me go ahead and let's start to sort of unpack this. When we talk about corporate consolidation in vet medicine, well, let's go ahead and start to lay that out a little bit. You make the point at the very beginning of the article that you think that the positives outweigh the negatives. Is that true? I, I do think that's true. And, and like it or not, just as a pragmatist, clearly consolidation is here and we need to have veterinary involvement. The investors have discovered our profession Pet numbers are up, pet spending is up, pet lifespans are up, recession resistant, all the things we know that are great about our profession, the investment community has figured out, so they're here. So we better have a seat at the table and all in, I think the dollars, the expertise, the knowledge, the systems, the comp, the benefits, the career tracks, I think it all in, it's a plus. Good. That, no, that, that, that totally makes sense. What is your criticism? So you talk about what they get wrong. So the case I make, and I know you're a big believer in culture as well, is when you start looking at a practice, a business, right off the top, culture to me is the most important thing there is. And culture, I think, can be intentionally driven. 
And I believe inadvertently, some of the big players in the consolidation game who came out of consumer packaged goods. So they've been in an environment that's very top down. They make gum, they make donuts, they make kibble. They make things that require a compliance culture. Someone at the top tells the middle manager, tells the people on the line how to make things. And that's critical in that environment that it is a compliance culture. But should you take that mindset and try to overlay it on a complex, multivariable, highly educated workforce profession like veterinary medicine, I just think it has some real limitations. Yeah, no, I I think that that's a I think that's an interesting critique. I think there's great benefits in in systematizing medicine, right? Especially using our support staff. I think it's important that everybody sort of has the same playbook, and that we're making, especially in wellness protocols, we're making good standardized protocol recommendations in our practice. But when we start to get into medical cases and individual outcomes, it gets really hard, especially when clients themselves are so different and they have very different desires or cultural backgrounds or beliefs about their pet or uh, previous experiences. You know, uh, we've all talked to people who we, we recommend dental cleaning for their pet and they had a pet when they were a child who died under anesthesia and they are not doing it. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's a very different conversation than someone else who says, what should I do for my pet? And you tell them and they do it. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think that that, I, I still think that, that those system, the systematic approach is really important. How do those things square? I mean, your, your position on this, I, I, I've known you a long time. You are, uh, you know, you are a process guy in a lot of ways. Uh, how do you have this, um, how do you avoid the problems with a compliance-based culture and still get um, expected outcomes, uh, still make sure that that everyone is working together, that we're giving consistent messaging, uh, and the clients are having a um, they're having a an experience that makes sense and not one where they're getting just wildly different uh, experiences every time they come in the building, every time they talk to a different doctor, things like that. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said, Andy. I think. Um... When you look at, at compliance on one end and commitment on another, it, it's kind of a continuum. And how you overlay those on different parts of our business, on the medicine domain, as you're discussing, I'm all about process, best practices, outcomes analysis, let's look at the data. Um, certainly if a pet comes in hit by a car, it's not the time to stop and look for commitment. It's time for compliance. We need fluids, we need films, we need whatever we need to do. So there's a place for commitment and compliance. When I talk about it in terms of this column, it's more in the overall leadership and direction of the that organization, that business. As a, as a member of that practice, that organization, I want to have some autonomy. I want to be able to innovate. I don't want to be locked into a compliance culture when I look at HR, when I look at business processes, when I look at whatever the domain might be, there's an opportunity for us as highly trained healthcare professionals to think beyond whatever that process or algorithm or whatever it might be. So part of the point I make in the column, Andy, has to do with just management in general. Um, in a commitment culture, my belief is you work very closely with the individual hospital leaders, that medical director, that chief of staff, that principal doctor, that practice manager, hospital director, you give them the tools to do the right thing. They know the right things. What they don't need is a well-intentioned series of middle managers with clipboards running in every week, 
telling them that from on high a corporate, this is the this is this week's directive. To me, that's that's very much a compliance culture, and and I'm a believer in getting out of the way and building leaders at every hospital. I, I fear that with with the middle manager hierarchical top down, and with that top down, you need a middle manager coming in, telling individual doctors, hospital directors, CBTs what to do, you inadvertently wind up building followers at every location. And, and as I see my job, it's, it's to build leaders. They know the right things to do. How can I go in and coach them on leadership? How can I break down barriers? How can I make them be more successful in a consultative versus a directive compliance-driven manner? What do you think the keys are for getting a sort of a commitment-based culture set up in the practice, right? So especially if we're talking about a multi-location, um, you know, clinic, yeah, how, how, do you, how do you sort of start to set that culture across multiple locations? Yeah, and that's the challenge. Um, and frankly, I think it's a lot more difficult to build a commitment culture than a compliance culture. It's a lot easier to hire a bunch of middle managers and tell them this is the flavor of the month. Go tell everybody in the hospitals this is what we're going to do and then we'll check the box or not. Um, that's a simple way to go. It's far more difficult to your point. If I'm gonna build a commitment culture, it starts right at, at hiring. Um, Andy, are you on board to lead this hospital? Do you understand that with this autonomy also comes the accountability to get things done? Um, how can I help you be a better leader so that you can take care of your team and the clients in your care? And then it, it kind of works throughout the business. Um, again, it's a it's a consultative way of approaching the hospitals versus a directive way. And it, it's by no means easy. And there are those, and, and I can't prove them wrong, that say this is naive, that, yeah, Bob, you can do that with 50 hospitals, but you can't do that with 500. They may be right, but I'm out to prove them, prove them wrong. <laughs> do you lose a lot of the advantages of economy of scale when you sort of approach hospitals in a consultative way and sort of say, you know, what do you guys need from me? Um, you know, I, I'm just sort of trying to think about about the advantages of, of having, you know, being a corporation and having multiple, multiple hospitals. Um, yeah, does that undermine your strengths if you uh, if you sort of give them that autonomy at the local level? I, not much. So when you specifically start talking about things like formulary, we typically align around what does wellness look like? What type of... Um, parasiticides do we want to use? And and typically with a few conversations, and again, it's not a it's not a one directive from on high that says, by golly, this is what you're going to do. It's a series of conversations. By the time we've had those and we've all aligned, 90% of us are still there using the same products, agreeing on, in our case, medical standards. We're, we're working to get all of our hospitals AHA accredited. So Bob's not telling them how to practice and he's not tying telling them how to practice, we point to AHA, top 15% of practices, how would they do it? So again, it's not it's not an on-high directive, it's a bottom-up consultative, and it, it hasn't, frankly, affected our economies of scale and purchasing, and that nine times out of 10, we all land, land in the same place. Jamie, tell me about your, your favorite cat. Um, you're not supposed to have favorites, but I do. Her name is Calico Jack, and she's missing her upper uh, and her lower canines. Um, and she's just a delight. Ah, Calico Jack and the rest of your crew all drink from the Filaqua uh, water system, correct? They do. I like to... Tell me about it. I, I love it. It's a smart system, so every time... 
the cats come up, it registers their microchip and it tells me how much they've had to drink in a given period of time. So I can make sure that none of them are drinking too much or drinking too little. Yeah, the uh, Falaqua is from Sure Pet Care as part of their connected ecosystem. Guys, uh, this has been something that uh, Jamie and I have gotten to play with for the last couple of months and it is super cool. Uh, we know that water intake is a huge flag for uh, for disease and uh, illness in our feline patients, and we want to stay on top of it, and we want pet owners to know uh, what their cat is drinking. This is a great approach to it. If you want to learn more, head over to surepetcare.com slash water. That's surepetcare.com slash water. I'll put the link in the show notes. Hey guys, I just wanted to jump in really quick right here and give you a heads up on some exciting stuff that is coming your way really fast. On August 14th, over at the Uncharted Veterinary Community, my friend, Sanani Ratnayaka, is going to be teaching uh, the, her secret sauce, the secret sauce to optimizing workflow. If you want to get your practice to run more smoothly, right? If you want it to be more simple, if you think things could just work better, but you're not exactly sure how to make that happen, Sanani has got you on August 14th, that's a Saturday, from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. to noon Pacific Time. She is doing a half-day workshop on the secret sauce to optimizing workflow. That is free to Uncharted members. It is $199 to the public. I'll put a link in the show notes. And then I, yours truly, will be doing my 12 Steps to Critical Conversations on August 8th. This is a two-hour workshop. It'll be from 2 to 4 p.m. That's a Wednesday, uh, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific time. I'm going to walk you through 12 steps to get your head straight, to get your environment set, to uh, to help you figure out what your objectives are, to help you avoid landmines, to make whatever hard conversation you're dreading, make it go easier. Uh, give me a chance. Come and work with me. Let me show you how I look at this stuff and how I set it up. I would be thrilled to have you there. Again, that is going to be on August the 18th. It's a Wednesday and it is free to the uh, Uncharted members and $99 to the public. Links in the show notes. Guys, let's get back to this episode. Can you talk a little bit about the effects that sort of a commitment-based approach has on job satisfaction? Yeah, and ultimately that's what it all comes down to. Um, as we all know, with the workforce shortage that we experienced pre-COVID that's only been exacerbated by COVID, in many ways, we're not in the pet business anymore. We're in the veterinary professional talent business. How do we attract, select, develop, and keep great talent? And what are they looking for? And I believe they're looking for that autonomy. They're looking for that transparency. They're looking for the ability to innovate. They're looking for local leadership. So I believe that helps attract and keep great talent. And that's certainly been our experience. Well, you know, I always like to say that this is a purpose-driven business it it seems like you know I, I don't know i was um i was reading um man's search for meaning mm -hmm. uh the the victor frankel book yes. and, you know he's he's sort of a a teacher of existentialism and it's sort of a, you know life has the meaning that you give to it or that you make and i i think that that's a powerful tool in our practices i think really trying to to talk to people about why they do what they do um and and letting them have some autonomy to to align their 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 work it, so that it meets that passion, I I think that that's about the best that you can possibly do as far as making someone really feel engaged for the long term. Completely agree. If if we as veterinary professionals align around purpose and passion, then profits just follow. The business part just happens. You don't go into it looking for profits. You go into it 
aligning around purpose and passion and then just get out of the way. The profits are going to be there. Yeah. Do uh, so when we start to talk about, you know, about um, about practices that are set up this way and sort of have their own autonomy or when they have a commitment and, you, and they sort of say, well, this is what we care about or this is what we see as our values or our, our North Star. Um, how often does that mean that you end up with personnel that don't fit with that culture? Like, is, is that, so I guess I'm looking at a, at a compliance model where you say, this is what we all do. Everybody sort of get, get on the line and we do the thing. That seems like much less of an issue than, um, you know, I, I see practices and they'll have great people whose values simply don't align. Uh, you know, uh, one person will say, I'm here to practice the highest quality medicine, period, full stop. And another person says, I'm here to make sure that every single pet gets cared for, uh, regardless of their financial circumstances. And it can be very hard for those two good people to get along in a practice just because their North Stars are, are, are radically, unfortunately, fundamentally different. Yeah. And again, I think that comes back to early on. In, in attracting and selecting great people. And one of the advantages of having multiple hospitals, and in our case, they're in three or four different communities where we've got 10 or 15 hospitals. In some cases, you may have someone that is a great clinician, but they don't entirely line up with the practice they're in, but there's a practice 10 miles down the road or on the next exit that they may fit perfectly in. So we, I think there's like everything, there's a continuum. Um, you were referring to Frankel. I'm thinking to um, F. Scott Fitzgerald talked about intellect is the ability to hold two opposing views in mind and still being able to function. So <laughs> yeah. there's a continuum out there, and there isn't a right or wrong. Um, I think we all have to align around basic good medicine. We all have to align why we're in this for love of pets and people. There, there's some basic places that we all line up but we don't wind up with cookie cutters. You don't wind up with every hospital is this way. And from on high, someone says, this is what you'll do with results in three different outcomes. When somebody comes to you and I and tells me, this is what you're gonna do, Andy, you comply, maybe that's good. You defy, frankly, I kind of like that because at least you've got some emotion around it. We can talk about it. More often than not, you're, you're just ambivalent. You don't much care. You can tell me whatever you want. I'm gonna do it the way I want. We're in a commitment culture. If we come in and talk about it, it may not be one conversation. It may be a series, but at the end, we're going to line up. We're going to agree. It may not be exactly where I started or you started, but it's it's basically within that um, within those opposing views, we're going to align and be able to move forward together. At, at first look, it, it seems like accountability in a system like this is going to be harder, right? Because you don't have the checkbox. You did it. You did do it. You hit the number. You didn't hit the number. It, it sounds like it's more of an ongoing coaching conversational approach. Do you, I mean, is that true? And do you, oh, you find that to be effective? You absolutely nailed it. So it's, it's frankly very easy to go out and talk to veterinary professionals about autonomy. Who doesn't want autonomy? Right. Uh, yeah. You're going oh, yeah. to let me do what I want. Heck exactly. yes. Yeah, up. But with autonomy comes accountability. So autonomy, yes, it's yours. I want to help you be successful. Let's work together. But at the end of the day, if the numbers aren't completely, if they're not moving in the right direction, if our practice is shrinking, if team members are leaving, then we've got to get more directive. We've got to lean in harder and help. But when you get that right leader and you give them the autonomy and they sign up for the accountability, then it's amazing how far and fast they can go. Yeah, I like, 
I like how in the article you talked a little bit about about this conversation, and it sounded a lot like you present those things together at the very beginning of, I I think that you can handle this autonomy. Are you prepared to be held accountable for for the practice as a whole? Can you can you unpack that a little bit, and then so how does that conversation go? Well, much as you just laid it out, um, that to to point out that autonomy is an easy place to agree. But with autonomy comes some metrics that we simply have to take care of. Are pets getting good care? Are your team members satisfied and sticking around? Um, are we hitting the numbers? Are we profitable? All of those things come with that autonomy. And, and oftentimes veterinarians, veterinary professionals, CBTs, practice managers, again, they're eager for the autonomy. They don't quite understand the accountability or they're frightened of it, which is easy. If they're willing to learn, and we can walk them through the rest. Here, here's we want to give you the tools to be successful. We're to, here to coach you to be successful. You know how to deal with pets and clients. The rest, I can take you down that road. If, if we align up there to begin with, then it's easy to just walk down that path together and help make them successful. Tell, tell me why you think that pet owners like this approach. I think at the end of the day, whatever approach gets you happy consumers, um, and I would turn that around. I, I would argue that for my decades in the profession, we all talked about how do we keep pet parents happy? How do we keep clients happy? Um, today, I've kind of flipped that. It starts with my people, the people in the hospitals. Yes. If my doctors and teams are happy, then pet consumers, pet parents are going to be happy and pets are going to get good care. I think that's a, a subtle but important distinction that it's, it's my doctors and teams that have to be happy then pets and pet parents will be happy. Then the profits will follow. I love to hear you say that. That that's exactly where my head is these days. I I am really just I've settled pretty firmly on this idea that we as a profession have got to get our head straight as far as we take care of our team first, and yep. our team will take care of our clients. Without but a doubt. I I I feel like the one of the worst things in the pandemic has been a, a lot of practitioners, a lot of leaders have decided that they are going to sacrifice their teams in order to meet this demand of the pet owners. I think that's toxic and I think it's really been damaging. And I think now that we're coming out of COVID, those people that have been damaged, sadly, some are leaving the profession, but others are looking for other opportunities. And they're coming to practices like ours that we do promise. We understand that life first, work second. <laughs> you don't want to yeah. get that backwards. That That's the way it is. So it, we're, we're kind of right back where we started on culture and values. When we look at values, we believe in the well-being of pets and people. Um, excuse me, people and pets in that order. And how do you do that? Well, you do that by caring for the caregivers. If we care for the caregivers, then they can care for others. That's that's where it all starts. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, I, I'm really getting sort of fired up on this idea of, of sort of setting what I call professional boundaries. Uh, and, and it's just it's a it's a professional distance. It's a professional boundaries to say I am here. I'm going to help you in an organized and intentional way, um, and within that organized and intentional way, exclusively, you know, uh, really is to say this is how this is how I, I this is how I put myself forward. This this is how I provide these services, and then I need to be able to step back from that at the end of the day and go and recharge and, and be yep. with my family. And, you know, and I think for a long time, I think we've been moving that way for a long time and people, you know, we've been talking about wellness and we've been talking about boundaries. And I think that, that a lot of us have, uh, we've put it on the individual and we talk about personal boundaries as if that's the, the, the silver bullet, you know, you say it's, it's personal boundaries, person, you have to have personal boundaries. You know, 
and it reminds me there's a there's a there's a book called the end of email that came out the author is the same guy that wrote the book deep work and he wrote this book the end of email and he wrote it uh because he said he wrote deep work which is really about getting being very productive and getting a lot of things done and in that book he writes a lot about you need to not be available by email you know you need to have blocks and check email so you can get in there and actually get work done and what he found was people would come up and say well that's a great idea tell my boss that i'm not available by email you tell my organization that i'm not available and he realized that what you can really do as far as deep work is fairly limited by the organization that you're in. I, I just, I had that same belief about boundaries is, you know, I can set boundaries for myself, but ultimately what I found is I get steamrolled if my personal boundaries come into conflict with the professional boundaries that are set by, by my practice. So all of that to come around and say, I think at an organizational level, we need to be uh, intentional about taking care of our people, setting some professional boundaries, saying this is this is when we go home and this is how we this is how we end our day and extricate ourselves. And these are yeah, these are fairly chiseled in stone rules about how we operate and they don't get trampled over They're They're what we do. And it's really sort of saving people from themselves, but it's setting that boundary at a higher level. I, I, I'm fully with you. I expect that that those are the practices that other people are going to want to work with or work at. Yeah, without a doubt, society now is going through, I've heard it termed the great resignation that throughout society, people are leaving, they're reconsidering, yeah. they're looking at new paths. Um, and we've got to have that good landing spot, that safe place, that place that it's okay not to respond to an email that somebody sends you at nine at night. It's okay to take your PTO. It's okay to be out on a sick day. Life comes before work. Yeah, I, I think this is a painful time. I think ultimately it's, it's going to be a good uh, transition, you know, as, as we know, like growth is painful. Uh, but, but yeah, the great resignation is, is, is happening across industries. And we see, we see a lot of that professionals who are like, I just can't, yeah. I can't, I just can't keep pushing, pushing like this. And it's manifesting in a lot of ways as a wage conversation where people say, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting enough. I don't know if that's really the root issue is, is it really, is it really about money or, is, or is it really about life or is it a mixture of the two? What do you think? Well, I probably see all the same surveys you do, and I'm always surprised to see that money is second, third, fourth on the list. It's it's more about the people you work with. It's more about your purpose and passion. Um, if you can take care of people, money is certainly important. Um, it's like the air you breathe. If you don't have enough of it, you know it's not there. Um, but it's it's typically not number one. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So anyway, well, this has been great. I really appreciate you talking through this with me. I, I always love your perspective. I, I think you've got a good view on where vet medicine is going. You always make me feel uh, more optimistic and I'm already pretty optimistic. So it's uh, <laughs> still, I just, I love that you generally have a very positive uh, look on, on our profession and where we're going. And so I thank you for sharing that. And, and uh, I really enjoy your column. For those of you who are not picking up uh, today's veterinary business, you totally should to read uh, Bob's column. And also, for, <laughs> I, I have a column there as well. Just just throwing that out. Uh, I never but, miss yours, Andy. Uh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> well, are you um, you're working with Wellhaven. Uh, do you want to say a couple words about about uh, them and your role there? I would love to. Thanks, Andy. Um, so Wellhaven is a group practice. We've got a group of practices in Denver, Minneapolis, Portland, and Seattle. Um, as we've been talking about the last few minutes, it's all about people first. It's about a commitment culture. It's about helping our doctors, teams, leaders be successful. So our job is to break down barriers, to help them be successful and put people first. And remember that this, and it's an old saying, you've said it, I've said it. It is a marathon. That numbers aren't going down. 
The demand for our services is not going down. We've got a long, hopefully happy career ahead of us. So let's make it a good one and give people all the tools they need to be successful inside the workplace. And remember that the workplace comes second to what goes on outside of work. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's not about how many pets we see today or this week or this month or this year. It's about how many pets we see over our careers. And if we burn out in three years, that number is not very many uh, nope. in the grand scheme of things. So, All right. Thank you again for being here, my friend. I will talk to you again soon. Great talking with you, Andy. Thank you. And that's what we got for you today, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I always uh, enjoy having Dr. Lester on the podcast. I'll put the link to the article down in the show notes below. Um, guys, if uh, if there's anything that you want to hear about in the Cone of Shame, shoot us an email. The email address is podcast at drandyrourke.com. That's podcast at drandyrourke.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. That's all I ask. Just help us get the word out. Uh, we always like to, to talk to people who'd be interested in uh, learning more about the vet profession. Anyway, guys, take care. Be well. Talk to you later. Bye.